The Thriving Over Surviving podcast is for informational and inspirational purposes and not meant to be medical advice. Please consult your physician for any medical issues you may be facing. The opinions expressed by guests and advertisers are their own and not necessarily the opinions of Thriving Over Surviving podcast. Why is other people's opinion of me so important to me? Don't allow people's opinions of you to become your reality. Other people's opinions of you does not have to become your reality unless you accept it. Like you accept what they're saying about you and you then say, that is me. But until then, you write the story of who you are, how you want to live and how you want to go about things. Welcome to another episode of the Thriving Over Surviving podcast, where we discuss the ups and downs of our autoimmune diagnoses, but ultimately how we thrive in spite of it. I'm your host, Edie Sahesian. I was diagnosed in 2015 with multiple sclerosis. I've learned a lot about MS in myself over the past few years, but the most important thing I realize is that I am going to live my best life. MS and other autoimmune diseases tend to be a bit of a bummer if we let them. So why not battle back by finding our joy? What is your definition of disabled? Some believe that disabled is synonymous with the term miserable. If you're a thriver, then you probably are thinking that is not how I would describe it. Now, let's add the word fat. The conversation now turns from miserable to lazy. I know us thrivers do not buy into that definition. And my guest today certainly believes that whatever your level of disability, that your life is valuable and you should enjoy every minute possible. Jay has had to overcome many obstacles mentally and spiritually to get to the place where she sees beauty in the everyday. She also has a much different outlook about her health. She had dealt even before her diagnosis with weight issues for over 30 years. And now exercising and nutrition are more about how she feels and her overall health and not her weight. This gorgeous human being, I got to say, it's got to be liberating for her. And I want to know more about how she's gotten there and maybe it can even help me. Jay, let's chat it up. How are you today? I am good. That was incredible. Thank you. <laughs> that was really good. Like if people, yeah, like I, my eyes are kind of welling a little bit like this. She's good. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. But I'm doing really well. What about yourself? I'm well, I'm well. Well, I wanted to honor you because as we were chatting in the, the pre-conference here, you know, I've been chasing you for a minute. We've been trying to get together because I just think that your outlook on things is really honest and I don't think you sugarcoat stuff. And I, I think that's a really valuable perspective because you say all the crap that's going on, but then you talk about how you're working on it. So let's start off. I know you were diagnosed in 2019. Let's hear your story. So I would say like my first symptoms begin in 2019 or when I didn't have a choice but to pay attention to my symptoms. So like I think I, I keep getting it confused. My official diagnosis was in November of 2020, but in December of 2019, I started experiencing like optic neuritis, right? So like when your eye is either dark or it's painful, you know, something is going on with your vision. And so I ignored it for like months, maybe two, right? I ignored it because 
why wouldn't I? Like, as far as like my historical perspective, like going to the doctors and things like that can be very much so a traumatizing experience because like you're having to force them. I feel that I'm having to force them to take me serious and to believe that I'm actually going through something. Right. And so like I put it off for about like a month or so. So maybe like November, it started by December. I flew to Florida. I didn't have a choice because after I got off the plane, it was like on Christmas Day, got off the plane and it was so painful. I don't know if it was the air pressure and the airplane or what, but like it was so painful. It was like, I have to go to the emergency room. So I went to the emergency room. They couldn't find anything out. They were like, nothing is wrong, right? Your vision is perfect. That's what they said. Your vision is perfect. And they were trying to get me to go to like this 24-7 ophthalmology center in Miami. And I'm like, it's Christmas. I've already been here in the emergency room room like I'm not doing that like I'm not I'll, I'll deal with this when I get back to California like I'm not doing the rest of this like I'm not fooling with you guys you're telling me nothing is wrong but I experience pain and like I know what I feel I know you know like so I'm like I'm not fooling with y'all and so I came back home I had a new doctor went to see her told her about you know the optic neuritis and like just the pain that I was experiencing experiencing she then transferred me to uh go see an ophthalmologist they then were like why are you in here like you're 30 32 or however old i think i was like 30 what 31 or something like that and they're like you look around they like my the the ophthalmologist then told me he's like look around you he said every single person that is in here every patient that is in here is over 60 there is no reason that you should be in here so we did all the various tests and he's like nothing is wrong with you like nothing is wrong with your eyes and i'm like I know what I'm experiencing. Like y'all can keep gaslighting me and telling me that I'm not experiencing it, but I know what I'm experiencing. So I go back to my primary. By the time I go back to her, it's like a few weeks later, she's going over the ophthalmology results and she's saying the same thing. They said that there's nothing there. But by that time, I also was experiencing numbness in the lower half of my body. I was a friendly person then. I don't know what it was like, but I guess like the medical fatigue hadn't hit. So I was like friendly with her. Like, I love this doctor. Like, I was like, oh yeah, but like, I understand that you guys are saying you didn't find anything. But now today, like for the past few weeks, I've been experiencing like this numbness from waist down. Like I remember telling her like in a jokingly manner and then she did like some tests with me and she was like well I'm gonna have you go and get your MRI done right I'm gonna have you get a brain MRI the kicker with that is before this doctor for the last five years prior to her I had a male doctor in which I used to beg for a brain MRI and I didn't have any specific reason though so he wouldn't allow me to have one because he's like, no, this is a serious test. He's like, and you don't have like a reason. You just saying that you have this inclination that you need an MRI. He's like, and that's just not good enough. He's like, that's not good enough. He's like, so I can't. So for five years, he, and he never did it. He was the same way with my knee. Like I had pain, but I did have pain out of my knee. And I'm like, dude, my knee is giving out. So this was like three or four years, even all of these things uh, occurring with my optic neuritis, like my knee would give out. Like I would walk and as I'm walking, like I would just limp, like I would fall because my knee is giving out. And so I'm like, like we got to figure out what this is. And so he refused to get like a CAT scan or an MRI done on my knee until I learned the language. Could you put that in my file? Because you put that in my file that I requested something and that you are denying me and declining to give me what I'm requesting. Could you put that in my file? I learned that language. I said that to him. He's like, all right, I guess we'll go ahead and get your knee MRI. You got to be kidding. Yes. Yes. It was crazy. Like, so that's what I'm saying. Like, Just being a part of the medical system can be very exhausting, I think, especially if you're a person of color, right? Because of all the 
historical stories of how we've been tested on and how we've been treated and things of that nature when it comes to the medical system. So I got a knee MRI and he he called, I remember he called me. He was like, his voice was just like, like his soul had dropped into his stomach. And he's like, I just wanted to tell you, we did get the results back for your knee MRI. And there's like something there on your knee. And I'm just so sorry that I waited so long. So it came out to be like a cyst. Right. So it's just a cyst. It's a run. They call it a runner cyst. They downplayed it like this. Not a big deal. But he didn't know that because he's not an orthopedic. Right. So he didn't know the severity of it. But it was still like, that's what your ass get. Next time I request something, give me what I request. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> but I ended up I ended up switching from him and like being like, no, you're not working for me because of that fact, because of the fact that you waited so long. And then it could have been something more severe. Right. And so I, I switched from him and I had this new one who, you know, got me the brain MRI. I got the brain MRI like within a couple of weeks of having that done. She contacted me and she said, you know, it's as I suspected. She goes, as I suspected, like, do you know anything about MS? I suspect that you have multiple sclerosis. And she's like, do you, and she's explaining this. And then she's like, but a neurologist should be the one to call you. Have they contacted you? And I'm like, no, no one's contacting me but you. And she was like, well, they're the ones that have to give you that diagnosis. But it's looking to me as if this is matching up. It's in alignment with your symptoms. And then your brain scan is showing that you have lesions. Like, so this is in alignment. This is what I suspect. So it took about maybe three months for the, and this was during the pandemic. So she sent me for the MRI like in March. And then I think I didn't hear back from them until maybe May, June is when I talked to the neurologist and it was like, he had to assess me through his phone, right. Or through my phone because it was, everything was virtual. So he's like, walk, you know, he's doing all of that. Like, let me see you walk and all this. That neurologist then tells me because I get headaches and MS is so serious, he does not think that I have MS and that he will not give me the diagnosis of MS because I get headaches and because I don't look like I have MS. So, and <laughs> yes, yes. So, when, but by that time though, I had did my research, right? Like, cause at first I'm gonna be honest, I didn't know research about MS. She was asking me, do you have any questions? And like, of course I had questions, but I didn't know. I just, I assumed that I was dying. Like, I'm just being real with you. Like, that was me, like MS. And then I was like, oh, this is the thing that Superman, this is what I told myself. This is the thing that Superman had. I'm going to die. I'm going to end up in a wheelchair and then I'm going to die. Like, I'm not going to be able to speak and then I'm going to die. Like, that's what was in my mind. Just to clarify, he had ALS. <laughs> just to clarify. <laughs> I know. I know. But I didn't research anything. It was like, I did not want to research. I was just like, in this point of acceptance, like, I'm about to die. And I'm 33, like 31, however old, and I need to get accustomed to the fact that like life as I know it is about to end, right? And so that was my thinking until like, I think like a couple months had went by and I was talking to my dad about it. And I was like, daddy, you know, Superman lived a good life, right? <laughs> like, and I think that I'm going to live a good life, you know, with this as well. And he was like, baby, what? I was like, well, you know, Superman died from this too. And he's like... No, baby. No, he didn't. He didn't have a mess. No, he didn't. And I was like, oh, shit. Okay. Like, then what do I have? Like, I have to do my research. <laughs> uh, so I did my research. Yay. Right? And so I did my research. And I was like, 
oh, I do have MS. Like, I definitely do have MS. Like, she said, I have lesions in my brain. Like, I experienced incontinence, experiencing, like, muscle loss or at least, like, signs of, like, muscle loss and the numbness and the the spasticity. Like, I'm like, oh, so I definitely have it. So by the time I meet with this neurologist, I'm educated. I've done my homework. And you're telling me that I don't look like I have MS. And I'm telling you, I have every single symptom. And it's like, oh, no, like, no, no, no. you're You're not here to serve me. Like, you're not what's best for me. So I hung up the phone with him, called his department back, and I said, I don't know who that person is or what's going on in their life, but they're trash. And you need to give me a new neurologist. Good for you. Like, so whoever, I don't know if it's his colleague or someone else, but I need a new new neurologist. So like a couple weeks went by, the new neurologist contacted me. I said, your colleague is trash and I hope you're not as well. So this is what I know. This is what I'm experiencing. And this is what it says on whoever, like all the online sources. Yes, I'm that person. I did my homework and this is what I'm experiencing. That neurologist did not want to, he said that the only way to know for sure was by me having a lumbar puncture. But then he he said the lumbar puncture is too serious to give to you without cause. And I said, I have lesions on my MRI, my brain MRI. That's cause. But he's telling me because you get headaches, that's probably why those are there. Right. And I said, F the headaches. Right. Get that from your memory. Don't even consider me as a person that has headaches. I was like, you're going to order the lumbar puncture. Can you do that? Yes or no? Like, that's what we need to figure out. Are you going to be able to do that? And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I can, I can definitely do that. He's like, we can definitely order your lumbar puncture. He's like, we're going to do that. And I was like, thank you. I appreciate that. And so then the lumbar puncture that I had was like not something that I would recommend anyone ever in their life have to experience. Like I said, it was during the pandemic. So my lumbar puncture and with I went with the VA, the Veteran Affairs, because I like served in the Air Force. I was an Air Force reservist. So I get VA benefits like to get free health care. I get health care through my job as well. But I'd rather use the free ones because it's cheaper. You know what I mean? It just makes sense. No doubt. But I went to them and I like immediately regretted it because I went to them for this lumbar puncture and the person who was administering this did not like I didn't change clothes they literally raised up my shirt I had to remind them to put on gloves I had to remind them to like yes it was bad and they told me then how there's a difference between what they're doing and what is typically done they said what's typically done is that contrast is used in order for us to find where the fluid is like your cerebral fluid is for this lumbar puncture but instead of that what I'm going to do I'm going to fill with my hands for the fluid as the needle is guiding by your spine, I'm going to fill in my hand to know where to go for the fluid. So she tried like three times. No. It was so painful. It was so painful. So she got to the third time. I said, take the needle out my back. Like, take it out. And she's like, so I'm going to have to note that you're refusing me to give you this care. And I was like, lady, you don't know what you're doing. It's not that I'm refusing the care. I'm refusing you because you don't know what you're doing. You've had some really good luck. Yeah, like, like you, and like, I think it like just set in on me, like, you're putting a needle by my spine, like you could paralyze me, right? And you're telling me that you're filling with your fingers for fluid to know where to go with this, with this needle. No, 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 it's not, it's not gonna work. It's not gonna work for me. Um, She's like, well, I had to put in your chart. Did you refuse care? I was like, I I really don't care at this point. Like, I really don't care. (laughs) Like, put in there what you need. Like, I don't care. And so I talked back to the neurologist and I was like, that shit was a setup. Then um, put it to where I went into a hospital and they use contrast, they use anesthesia, like local anesthesia and stuff like that in order to get it done. But even that one was botched. 
right? They botched it to where then I had to get a blood patch. The cerebral fluid is no longer going to your brain as it should. It is leaking out. So then they go in your body and they take blood from wherever and they use your blood to patch up wherever the cerebral fluid is leaking out. So this was 4th of July, 2020. My body is completely locked. It's two days after I've gotten that lumbar puncture. I cannot move. And it's on 4th of July. So like I have to like lay in the back of the car because I have to lay down. I can't sit up. So I have to like lay in the back of the car. I get to the hospital. They don't let anybody else in there because this is during the pandemic, right? So they're not letting allowing anyone else in the hospital with you. It's just like I've had so many negative experiences with medical care and so it was just like that compounded it but eventually they were able to see by that that had lesion on my spine as well and so in november of 2020 is when they gave me the official diagnosis of oh yeah like you have ms almost thank god thank god you are spunky because a lot of people would just be like oh the doctor said and so they would just be going on with it but, you know, you had the balls to say something, really, and you got it done, man. I can't. I am so glad. I like that you call it spunkiness, but it's like having to be bold enough to advocate for yourself and speak for yourself. And I constantly, it, it infuriates me more to think about how many people are not capable of doing that. How many people are not capable of advocating and speaking up for themselves that you all are getting over on, that you're ruining the lives of? Like your job is to offer us care, but instead of offering us care, you're offering us like your, your education, like your education is not greater than my lived experience. It never will be. No doubt. Especially about your own body. Like I, I know how I'm feeling, you know, you're making me sound like a psycho. I am not, I feel like this and you know, it's not uncommon right with MS at all, but almost everybody that I've talked to that's African-American really had to advocate for themselves. And, you know, that is like the largest population of people getting diagnosed right now. So how can you ignore someone when they're telling you they don't feel well, you don't have a history of long-term mental illness, and then they gaslight you into feeling this way about your own self. It's it's wrong. You're right on. That's exactly what it is. It's like, it's a, it's a historical, storied historical experience in which, like, I think that when it comes to Black people in the medical system, how it has been, right? Like, either you're used as test subjects or you are not considered as valued right or they consider you as someone who's drug seeking because when i went to get that when i went to get the blood patch for the lumbar puncture like it they they were treating they it was so bad they treated me as if i was in there for medicine like if i was in there for like hard drugs whatever whatever hard drugs are right whatever heart painkillers are that's what they assumed that i was in there for and so the nurses literally would not allow me to see the doctor until i gave them a sample like they were like no 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 we need a sample from her and like, it was like, the doctor had to come to me and be like, she doesn't need a sample. She just told you guys, she just had a, a lumbar puncture. Now she needs a blood patch, like as soon as possible. Cause I'm pretty sure this is painful. But while he was doing the procedure, a nurse came in while he's doing the procedure said, but we never got a sample from her. So lucky that I had a black nurse who was like, you don't need a sample from her. He is doing the procedure right now that she needs. Right. Like, but it was like, if she wasn't there, then I would be being operated on having to then tell them about how I'm not going to give them a sample and why not? Like, so it is, it is crazy. It is, it is absolutely wild. I can't imagine dealing with all that. 
my biggest fear, which is so it's stupid and irrational and I shouldn't be thinking like this, but I do. My brain goes there. I don't want to be that person in a wheelchair that's overweight because I really feel like people, when people are overweight in a wheelchair, they think that others, you know, perceive them. Yes, it's your fault. You're in the wheelchair because you're overweight and not because you have some other disease, right? I am a very proud person. I really treat others with respect and value them. And I don't want to ever be perceived that way. I'm very outgoing human being. I like to do lots of stuff. So I've had times in my life where I've lost weight and I usually gain it back. I went in after my diagnosis about two years after I was having some relapses and I'm like, I read Terry Wall's book. I got to do something, right? So I changed my eating habits and things and I told everybody, look, I'm not doing this because I'm overweight. I'm doing this because I don't feel good and I don't want anything that I do to impact my health. So I started making a lot of changes. I was exercising and things were really good. When people started to notice my weight loss, that is what they focused on. And so my mind started to shift into, I'm looking good. I'm feeling good. I can go out and do some things and incorporate alcohol back in and incorporate, you know, maybe on the weekend I can go to dinner and I don't need to think about this and I can to eat the gluten again and all that stuff, right? So I like mentally talked myself into going back to where I was. So over the next year, I gained back a lot of what I had lost 70 pounds. I had gained back about 35 of it. So that last 35, 40 pounds I've gained and lost twice. All of this in the last three years or so, which is super unhealthy. It's unhealthy to be overweight and all of that. But hearing what we had talked about earlier, I really want us to share with the audience because I think it, a lot of it is mindset, but I want to hear your process and what you went through during that time when you went from an obese person to the person that you feel like you are now. This is so tiered, like obesity is so tiered. And like, I don't know why I feel like a rush of emotions like right now in regards to it because it's so complicated. Like since I can remember until about 2012, 2013, I've always been overweight. I mean like 240, 250, 260, that's always been like the range. And I'm only 5'6", right? So I've always been pudgy. And the same thing, like I look cute. Like, so it's not that I have low self-esteem or I feel bad about myself, like, but like, I am who I am, right? So, and since I had always been that way, like I was okay with it. And I was able to uh, like function within my body within this place of like, okay, like I'm a big person, right? And I accepted it. I really did. Like I would say things to people like, um, like, because I still dress nice. I still treated myself well. And like, I really liked clothes. And so it was like, I would tell people, it's the it's the fact you're going to see me when I'm coming, you're going to see me regardless. So I'm just trying to give you guys something to look at. That's what I would say to people, right? (laughs) 
Like, that's what I would say. Cause like, I was like, I fully embraced, like, this is just who I am. And then I got married young, right? Like, so I got married and so I had a person and I, I was okay with that person and I was okay with everybody else that was in my life. But then I got to a point where after college, I moved where I'm at now in California. And I was like feeling that way. I was feeling like it started to where I started to feel bad about myself. I had never really experienced that before. And so like, since I was feeling bad about myself, it was like, I got to change something. And so I went to like a weight clinic and they like offer like these medications as supposed to like suppress your appetite and all this other kind of stuff. But they also teach you like how to eat. Right. So it was like going to vegetables and grilled meats and stuff like that. So I started that and I started to see results. I'm just realizing like I have this thing within me to where it's like, if it's good for me, doesn't matter if it's not good for you, I'm still going to do it. And what I mean by that is because like on my lunch breaks at work, they would be like two hours long because I'll go to work out. Like I'll work out and do all this stuff while I'm at work, right? But this is my lunch break. That's probably supposed to be like 30 minutes to an hour. But like every single day, like I'm like taking two hours and they know where I'm at. They know I'm downstairs in the gym. And it's like, but you haven't said anything to me about it. So I'm going to keep doing it. And so that's what I did. Like I kept doing that. And the weight was like falling off. And then I would keep the weight off for a period of time. And then I would start thinking just like how you're thinking. My thing was, it was bothering me that so many people was putting so much attention on my appearance because I didn't want that attention. I didn't want any additional attention or anything of that nature. And I wasn't doing it for others, but then I began to do it for other people. And I started to like either fast or I started to go to the gym thinking about this appearance that I wanted to have that was acceptable for other people, not for me, that led to me still going up and down, up and down with my weight. I've been on a journey. I've been on a weight loss journey for a long, long time. And the thing that changed was probably like this past year. So this past year, it was like something happened within me in which I decided that no longer was I working out for appearance. Right. Like I really it wasn't about the appearance that I really cared about because I figured out the more that I focus on appearance, the more that either when I do lose weight, I don't recognize it. And I'm not giving myself like the credit that I deserve because maybe I'm waiting on other validation from other people to like tell me like that they recognize it. Right. That they recognize it and they appreciate it or whatever. So it was either like I wouldn't recognize it or I would put too much attention on that on like how other people responded to me because of how I looked. And so we got a house, got a new house and the house in the enough space. And it was during the pandemic to where I was like, we're, we can't go to the gym anymore, but working out is so important. It's so important for me in this diagnosis as well, because, you know, they're talking about the unpredictability of like, maybe you're not going to be able to walk one day. Right. Or the unpredictability of like, maybe you're not going to be able to lift things one day. And so like all these things were on my mind to where it's like, I have to focus on me and my health and like my livelihood, like how I want to live my life other than what other people are thinking about how I look and all this other kind of stuff. Because why is that so important to me? Why is other people's opinion of me so important to me? Don't allow people's opinions of you to become your reality. Other people's opinions of you does not have to become your reality unless you accept it. Like you accept what they're saying about you and you then say, that is me. But until then, you write the story of who you are, how you want to live and how you want to go about things. And so for me, it's like, I like to travel. I want to travel. It's like, okay, so if you like to travel, then why aren't you doing it? Okay, I'm going to do it. Right? Like there's no excuse why I'm not doing it. And if you want to be healthy, then why aren't you? Okay, I'm going to do it. 
And so I would say I've been um, vegan, more vegetarian than vegan because I still partake in cheese often. But that has been like since I want to say for the past six or seven years, I've been vegan. So that was even prior to the diagnosis too. In 2012, I stopped drinking. I've been drinking since I was like seven. Story passed, story passed. And so like I've been drinking for quite some time. And so it wasn't that big of a deal to me. But my parents were like drug abusers. Like when I was growing up, my parents were drug abusers. I went on this fast in 2012 and I stopped drinking. And one of the reasons why was because I didn't want anything. Like I had been in college, right? I worked so hard to like try to build this life for myself. And I didn't want me to get in the way of that. Like I didn't want me to get in my own way. And so, and I seen that I was, I'm predisposed to addictions. So I was like, okay, I'm gonna stop drinking. Okay. And then that's when I was like, I stopped, I'm gonna stop eating meat. Like, I'm just going to figure this thing out. And like, when I fast from all of that, I never got a taste for meat back. And I never got the taste for alcohol back. And so like, since then, it's like, I don't do those things. And people are like, oh, you don't do that because your diagnosis. And it's like, I kind of like was on this before my diagnosis. Like, you know what I mean? Like I kind of already lived this way. Um, trying to establish like some type of discipline. When I did that in 2012, though, one thing that I didn't know is that I was establishing discipline for like throughout. So now whatever I dedicate myself to, it's like, I can do that because look at all this. Like I haven't drank in almost 10 years, so I can do that. Right. That's a little bit of a, of a snippet of what has helped me, what has helped me from now not being so concerned about other people's perception of me. It's more so about my perception of myself and how I measure myself is just my health. Do I feel like doing something? Because not every day do I feel like working out, but we try to dedicate at least, and my husband definitely helps me. Thank God for him. Because every day, Monday through Friday at 6 p.m., like we're in our gym and we do it by flipping cars. Like we're flipping cars. We start with push-ups and then we add on two additional workouts. And that's all I do. Like I don't do any additional cardio or anything like that. So that's like 45 minutes a day. That's what we do. And it's like, I'm not focused on my looks. I'm focused on my health. And that's such a change for me. That's such a dramatic change for me. And I love that you have that person that's in, you know, there with you partaking in all of it and supporting you. Yeah. I hear all the time, you got to love yourself. And it's way, for me anyway, it's way easier said than done. I start the day that I do and then something will happen. And it's those other people that I allow into my head that get me back to that yucky place. And I let that dictate how I'm going to feel about myself. And I, how do I stop doing that? Can you counsel me, counselor? (laughs) How do I stop allowing other people to dictate my life? Because it's yours. I, I remember reading something once that was talking about how when you get to heaven, God is not going to say, what, did you live your life like your neighbor, Sally? Did you give like how she gave? You know, God is not going to say you were not kind. This person was like, God is not going to compare you to anyone else. So why are you comparing yourself to anyone else? God is not going to seek the validation from other people to help him in deciding how you lived your life. He's going to look at you and the decisions that you made to live your life. He's not going to look at all the other influences. He, You know what I mean? Like, Because those are not what's important. What's important is you. You're the main character of your story. You are the only character in your story that matters. 
That's it. You are the most valuable person on this planet because it's you. No one else can duplicate you. No one else can do things the way that you do it. No one else can provide the things that you provide. Like it's you, you are the most valuable person. And so I think a lot of times other people are also looking at you and they see your value. They see your shine, they see your light and either they're trying to diminish it, which is more likely than not, because they are then comparing themselves to you and your light to them, your light shines brighter than theirs does. And so they're trying to pick out the flaws in you, right? To bring you down, to make you think that like, you're not good enough. You're more than freaking good enough. Because if you weren't, they wouldn't be saying anything to you in the first place. They wouldn't be trying to bring you down in the first place. And like one of the things I tell my kids, or I like, I don't have biological kids, but like everybody's my kid, right? When it comes to like working in the school system. And like one of the things I tell them is like, you're on a ladder, you're on a ladder and you're built, you're going up on this ladder and people are going to say things to you to try to bring you off that ladder, to try to get you to start taking steps back down off that ladder from where you were headed. Where is those people's position? Where do they have to be in order to bring you down? Everybody gets like confused and they're like, I don't know. Like, what do you mean? Like they're saying I'm listening and it's like, no, but they're yelling up at you because you're up here. Where are they? And they're like, oh, they're at the bottom. Exactly. And they're trying to bring you down to their level, right? Misery loves company. So now they're trying to bring you down to their level. But you have to make that decision. Do I start taking steps back down, going off of where I'm going to change my direction, to then focus on them when they're beneath me? They are lower than where you are. They're beneath you. And I know that's like some kind of conceited way people are like, no, no one's beneath you. No, but apparently they are. Because how are they going to bring you down unless they're lower than you? Oh, my gosh. That's going to change my life because every time I'm in a situation, I'm going to visualize this freaking ladder. Oh, my gosh. That's why they call you the counselor. I'm there 100 percent. I'm I'm feeling whatever juices are flowing off of you. I'm I'm catching them. You deserve to live your best life. You deserve to live a life that you enjoy and that you love because it's yours. It is your life. It's not about waiting until like, oh, I'm going to wait till I get heaven. God promised you heaven on earth, right? So if God promised you heaven on earth, you should be living heaven right now. What the hell are you waiting on, right? So what is it? what do you need to do in order to live that heaven? Maybe it means that I have to cut certain people off that doesn't want me to enjoy my heaven. So maybe I need to leave them wherever they're at because they're not in the same space that I'm at. And I'm not going to judge I'm not going to judge you. I'm not going to judge you for the hell that you are living in. But I'm going to say that's not my hell. That's yours. So you identified well-being and love as your core values. Can you talk to us a little bit about what those values mean to you in your life, how you lean into them to make sure that you are living that best life for yourself? I think that we all have a center. We all have a center where we are at our homeostasis, like we're at peace. We're at peace with ourselves. We're at peace with our lives. Everything is good. Everything kind of is flowing the way that we want it to flow. We get into these states. Well, I'll speak for myself, right? I come from a very trauma, trauma past. And so coming from a trauma past, I am very good. This is something my therapist just told me yesterday. I am very good at making lemonade. I am very resilient. I know how to overcome struggles and overcome hard things. Like that, that is my specialty. She's like, yes, you are excellent at making lemonade. She's like, you are excellent at it. But it's just that when you sell all that lemonade 
and you make all the profits from it, you are now seeking lemons because you're excellent at making lemonade. You're excellent at overcoming things. So when everything is going good, you're now looking for lemons. You're looking for something bad to happen for you to feel like, oh, I'm back on purpose. Like I'm in ba- I'm back good. I'm back where I supposed to be. But where you're back, where you put yourself back at is a place that's still filled with so much trauma, filled with so much hardship and hard things where you've already made the lemonade, like you already made your success with the lemonade, like you've already, you know, sold that off. But now you're like, no, but I need more lemons to make more better lemonade. And it's like, no, you don't need that. You don't need that. What you need to do right now, you can drink the lemonade, but you don't need to make it anymore. Like you don't need to go searching for those hard times. You don't need to go searching for the the bad parts that you need to then change around. Like, no, be at peace. Be at peace where you're at. And so right now, that's me. That's what I'm trying to learn to do is just like be at peace with calm. Be at peace with like nothing being wrong. Nothing being traumatic to what I that I need to go back and change or that I need to go and work out and fix. Like, I don't have anything like that. And like, I have to be okay and know that life is okay without all of those hardships. That's where I'm at. For me, well-being is me being at peace and allowing peace to be still and knowing how to keep my peace because... I'm good at making lemonade. So what that means is if you bring a problem to me, I am very quickly knowing how to find a solution to that problem because that's what I do. But I need to get to a point to where I turn those problems down. And I say, nah, you know, that's in the past. That was a past me. That was a me that was resilient. And I was able to do that. But now I need to be okay just being and being at peace and keeping my peace. So for me, I think that's well-being is like being at peace with yourself and then maintaining it, like doing the things that allow you to be at this like peaceful state. So whatever that consists of, like your hobbies, like maybe engaging in your hobbies more, or like when those fears come up that tell you, you don't know what your life is going to be now with MS and it may be in a wheelchair or something like that. You take that fear and you say, okay, but I'm not yet. Even if that's going to happen, I'm not right now. So what am I going to do to combat that? Like, I'm going to go do something that I love. I like the hike. I may have to do that with a lot of assistance, and I do. I do that with a lot of assistance. However, I'm still going to do that because that's something that I enjoy. I'm still capable of doing it to some degree. So that keeps me like at a constant homeostasis or like at a place of peace. It made me think of poking the bear. I, I keep poking until I find a problem because it's my job. It's my purpose to solve those problems. And I'm fulfilled when I'm solving those problems. So I'm constantly looking for them, seeking that out. So I think that that's a super healthy reflection on your part to say, I need to put that aside and just drink my freaking lemonade. (laughs) Enjoy life right now and stop trying to seek out those issues that may happen. That makes a lot of sense to me. I, I feel a little bit like I've had a therapy session today because I have, listen, listen to all these takeaways. So put that, put that in my file. I want to say, put that in my file, bitch, but I'm not going to say that. Be bold, (laughs) be bold. Don't do things because it is acceptable to other people. Other people's opinions do not need to become your story. God is not comparing you to anybody else. So stop doing that. You are the main character in your story. You are the most valuable person. Where are you on your ladder? I'm going to, I told you, I'm going to keep visualizing that. And don't go down to where those haters are. 
We all have a center where we find peace. Stop looking for the lemons and be at peace where you are at. Oh my gosh, Jay, thank you so much for being with me today. I appreciate you so much. You're coming back. Okay, we're going to have an update in a year because I need to just chat with you again. It's an excuse to chat with you again. I would love it. Absolutely. Tell everybody where they can find you because they're going to they're gonna reach out. Oh, that's awesome. So I'm Jay at Rolling With MS. So rolling like you're rolling on something because I used to skate. So Rolling With MS. And also I created that name because I thought I was going to end up because I thought I had an ALS. But Jay at Rolling With MS. That's where you can find me. Thank you for this platform and thank you what you're doing and just the message that you're getting across and just giving everyone this this opportunity to learn. Like I've learned a lot from listening to your podcast and the people that you've had on. Like, so I'm very honored to be here and I, I appreciate you. So thank you. You are a thriver for sure. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining me for this episode of the Thriving Over Surviving podcast. If you would like to join our growing community of thrivers, there are a lot of ways to do so. Visit the website at thrivingoversurvivingpodcast.com. There you'll find links to all our social media, my blog, and lots more. See you next time when we chat it up with another autoimmune warrior on the Thriving Over Surviving Podcast. Keep thriving. Keep thriving.